This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. My name's Josh Williams and I'm joined by my colleague David Hughes. How are you mate? I'm very good, thank you Josh. It's hard to go with an alternative little introduction to the show mm. there compared to usual, just mix things up a little bit. Eh? Yeah. Uh, but we've got a bit of a different show this week. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we've got a bit of, bit of a different show this week um, because we have basically a lack of talking points and we feel as though we're maybe doing Q&As a little bit too often so we're trying to avoid those for, for a little while. So we're going to address Southampton. Um, we're going to delve a little bit into a topic of Liverpool's season that may be drifting under the radar. And we're going to have a little little chat about the whole player of the year talk, debate, um, look into the numbers and things like that. So possibly a bit of a shorter show this this week, but you know we'll see how we go. Uh, but Southampton, Dave, mm-hmm. you was there, weren't you? Yeah. What do you think? Um, what do we predict, firstly? I can't even remember. I think we predicted quite tight, actually. Did we? Something like a two-one. Yeah, because we did, we did, we did speak uh, quite highly of Southampton, and uh, we saw glimpses of it. I think at Anfield. Um, yeah, for the first half, certainly. Yeah, why they, uh, why they considered a good side. Yeah, it felt, uh, it felt very strange. It, the cliche line: if you no know, game of two halves. I thought Liverpool were by their lofty standards were quite sloppy in that first first half. Um, and do you think that was? Um, Enforced by the opponents, though, or just no? I, I thought they, by their own standards, they, they let they let them drop. You know, by Liverpool standards, I thought they just weren't really there. Um, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of little misplaced passes at the back, which you never associate with Liverpool, really. Um, yeah, you know, go like to Gomez and stuff, misplacing headers, and it, it, it gave Southampton at least a sniff of goal. Um, but that being said. I think the the narrative maybe got a little bit exaggerated about how dominant or how in the game Southampton were um, because I still felt Liverpool were on the whole still in control up until half-time and thereafter. Yeah, so did I. I think you spot on with the whole game of two halves thing. Mm. Um, up until 45 minutes in, actually, just before the goal, um, the expected goals were separated by about 0.6. Uh, which isn't much considering that it was at Anfield. Mm. It's Liverpool. Liverpool had an next year of around one. Southampton had an next year of around 0. 0.4. <clears throat> um, I think they did actually take as many as about 10 shots in the mm. first half. I actually tweeted it at the time because I, I haven't actually went back and checked actually, but I can't really remember the last time Liverpool faced 10 shots in the first half of a match at Anfield. I do remember. Yeah. Lo- sorry, to, I was going to say. I do remember looking at the data half time because uh, obviously one of my jobs is to collect it, and I, was, I couldn't remember the side matching Liverpool on a corner count. I know that a, a corner count's really basic, but it does tend it's territory, to, isn't it? Yeah, as well to say that it tends to tell you where play, uh, teams are being territory wise, and it tends to give you a decent indication of how uh, how games panning out. And it was six v six at half time. Yeah, I mean. The- the the, uh, the caveat with that Southampton taking so many shots is that a lot of them, which seems to be a recurring theme, were quite unlikely. I'd mm. say uh, I think they were a lot of them were from distance. 
um, with values of around maybe, I don't know, 0.5, not 0.5, 0.05. Yeah, it was an accumulation of low quality shots, wasn't it really? Yeah, and you know, obviously we know with Alisson between the sticks, it's probably you're probably unlikely to find a net. At one point, I can't remember if it was in the first half or not, but one of the Southampton players volleyed a shot in, in the penalty box and he caught it. <laughs> oh yeah, I do remember it. Yeah. It was a high, high-powered shot, mm. and he just caught that in mm. midair, and that was it. Um, but the expected goals for the full game um, in the region of about two point nine for Liverpool and one for Southampton. So you're looking at about a three-one win there. Mm. Um, Liverpool's xG seems to double in the second half compared to the first half, and um, as I said, Southampton took a good deal of shots. They actually outshot Liverpool overall. 17 shots to 16. Uh, but the difference being, four of those were on target for Liverpool. Uh, nine. So I don't. I don't actually think one of Southampton's shots uh, exceeded 0.1 in terms of an XG score. Well, there was a chance that was that I suppose you could deem as a one-on-one. Danny Ings with Allison, but for some reason that seems to be valued quite low. And can you remember it? No. It was I literally a one-on-one. Bit, no. I think it was. Um, can't remember if it was blocked or not, or but it was a it was a high chance, and I think it might have been blocked actually because I think it was going in. Mm. Um, I think a mistake happened at the back, but you know it's worth getting that up now and having a little look at it. So um, uh, that was uh, on on the topic of Danny Ings. Though, I might as well stay on him while you're getting the clip up. Mm. Uh, we mentioned last week that he was a obviously a penalty box threat, a bit of a poacher. And he actually managed to take four shots inside the penalty box against Liverpool, which... Was this the one? Sorry to interrupt. Go on. Where he, he's run into the box now, he, he bypasses Gomez. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah. See, that's, that's a high-quality chance, that. It is, but if you look at the... Um, which Maybe seems to be the theme. Maybe it's because Yeah, and look, look how many... If you think at the time, which sums have pulled up, really, there's, there's two central defenders between the goal and him, really. Yeah, yeah. Um... But yeah, did you, do you know Danny Ings has the um, the fourth best conversion rate in the Premier League? It doesn't really surprise me. Yeah, no, he feels like he takes his chances. Yeah, he's been he's been so good this season. Yeah, just on that, that that has actually got an xG of point one, which means that it's scored we you know, one in ten attempts, mm. um, ten percent of the time. So, I'd value it personally a little bit higher than that. I think. Yeah. Uh, but you know, who knows? Mm. But yeah, four shots in the penalty box for Danny Ings. I think he showed up as as the type of poacher that we painted the most of, to be honest, because yeah. I, I don't think many players do that at all. At, no. at Anfield, especially four shots inside the penalty area. No, he's, uh, he, he, I, I, I thought he played fairly well on the on the day, actually. Um, I think Anfield was quite happy to see him go off in the second half. Um, I th- it's just nice to see him perform so well. Obviously, we're, we're recording on Thursday. He scored a really good goal last night. Against Tottenham, he's just he's becoming somewhat of a, a lethal, a lethal finisher. And Liverpool did well to to not fall to that particular um, sword, I guess. The term I'm looking for, <laughs> yeah, possibly, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, we mentioned shots on target there uh, for Allison. That is now forty six shots on target faced mm. this season in the Premier League. Forty of them saved. Um, so we let. That's just ridiculous. Really. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. It's, yeah, crazy. it's unbelievable. So he's got a a save percentage that means of eighty seven percent. So eighty seven percent of the shots he faces 
on target, he saves. Um, the next best is Dean Henderson on 76%. And I didn't actually have a look into Jordan Pickford, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need, mate. He, uh, last I checked, he was save around a, a, a sample of 24 keepers. He was around 21st. So he's... Uh, Pickford. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so he's uh, he's right down there, mate. Um, I mean, f- from an Everton perspective, mm. what what... How does it feel to look look at a keeper like Allison with a with a goalkeeper in Jonas who's maybe a little bit unreliable and and that sort of thing? Because we obviously suffered from it as Liverpool fans for a number of years. With mm. the likes of Simon Mignolet and then Carries for a little bit. Yeah, well, we talked about it earlier, didn't we? On on a on another show, it's um, you know there's moments in the game where it's basically impossible for to restrict the side to not create any sort of chances on your goal but for Liverpool right now with Alisson in goal they have to be of a high quality and they have to give them basically little chance of saving them Um, the Jimenez goal comes to mind uh, against Wolves where it was just a well-worked goal and it was literally equal to done but you know Pickford on the weekend conceded uh, a goal of an XG of about 0.3 which is a good chance but I'd always back Alisson in those situations Every time, whereas someone like Pickford, you just don't. Uh, and I, I think that that can be decisive in games, As, especially with Liverpool. I'm, I'm looking now, and I think the average of just over maybe two shots on target faced per game, maybe a little bit more. But you you really need those moments for the keeper to be the um, decisive factor and not conceding, don't you? And he, uh, he is, he's just... He is simply for me the best goalkeeper in the world at the moment. Yeah, same. Um, he's obviously a ridiculous goalkeeper. Just, I obviously haven't given you time to prepare for this one, but out of interest, mm. do you think that if Adrian would still be in goal and Liverpool would have had no minutes of Allison this season, do you mm. think would still be unbeaten? I don't actually. You don't? No. And uh, I actually wrote a, uh, a complimentary piece about Adrian this week. So I'm not, uh, it's not necessarily a slant on him. But from from the data I've looked at, and um, so on, I think Adrian is a average, maybe slightly above average goalkeeper. Um, but I think Alisson is elite, simple as that. And Keepers are tend to be decisive in results, you know, because it's such a low scoring sport. The difference between conceding an extra five or six goals over the course of a over a season does tend to impact results and points return. And for that reason, I uh, I, I think Liverpool will struggle to maintain that being unbeaten, especially because there's been some games that have been in the balance, you know, quite tight margins. Yeah, why? I- what's your opinion? No, I think I am, without any research on this, because obviously this is just games with me now, really. Mm. I am inclined to agree, I think. I think if you think of the teams that have had extended periods unbeaten, like Chelsea under Mourinho and Arsenal under Wenger, and each of those teams have had like a real top quality keeper, mm. like Petr Cech in his day, and mm. I think Jens Lehmann was the, the Invincibles keeper at that time, wasn't he? It, most likely, if it wasn't the back end. No, yeah, it will be. I was going to say back end of Seaman, but... Me, I think any any United decades messed up there. Any unbeaten ones for United. Obviously they've had Van der Sar in goal, they've had Schmeichel in mm-hmm. goal, so 
I do think it's massive. And I think that the average keeper maybe by now would have let a little bit little bit of something slip mm. every now and then, but Alisson just doesn't seem to. Uh, just a little bit more on the whole shot on target thing. Faced. Um, Manchester City have now faced two more shots on target than the whole of last season. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. With 13 games to play, mm. which is quite mad. Yeah. They've had... I'm not sweet that, but it didn't. <laughs> That'd probably bang, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what, mate? You've probably missed the, uh, missed the trick there, actually, you know? Yeah. I. You know what I will say? It's not that surprising, though, are they? Because City do look just poor, really, and by their lofty standards. They don't look like an elite side, defensively. Um, they don't look a patch on Liverpool. So... Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really surprise me. Although that is that is a fall from grace that with yeah. thirteen games still to go. Was it was it right in saying that Liverpool faced just over two shots on target per 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 ninety roughly? Uh yeah, I think so. I've just yeah. done the maths then actually. So as I said, Allison's role in that is is pivotal. No, oh, two point eight. Two point eight, yeah. yeah. That's ridiculous really when you think about it. Mm. Yeah. So he might only be so he, he can spend a lot of the time perhaps not doing that much, but when he's called upon you know, it shows that he's got the uh, concentration levels to switch on and pull off big saves. Yeah. Um, obviously, Liverpool scored four goals. Um, by the way, out of interest, we obviously painted it as a tight match mm. beforehand. Yeah. Did it feel tight? Because for me, for large periods, at least it did. I, did, yeah. I don't think it no, was a, steam, it, a steamrolling thing. It did, yeah. Like that, where it, we just demolished them. Yeah, it did. And did, remember months ago we talked about the Leicester game at home, and I said like, uh, yeah, yeah. I know we disagreed on that, but it had Liverpool have heavy, uh, like dominant because obviously that I'm um, much higher XG score and things. But that game to me still felt in the balance, and this is another example where if you look at purely the uh, XG numbers alone, it looked like it was. A, a huge control and win by Liverpool but I do agree I think game state plays a part and um, yeah it did feel in the balance for a long period until the goals started coming in the second half yeah it felt to me like we were facing a well-drilled team mm. a team that are going to cause many teams problems but obviously Liverpool are just on a different level when you want to be yeah um, it did feel like Liverpool maybe in third gear for that whole first half that's what I will say and the, yeah. I wouldn't even say they went Full throttle, I'd say he just went up again in the second half and started becoming more clinical. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we scored four goals, was it? Yeah, four, <laughs> four yeah. goals, yeah. Uh, we're going to pick out one of them because it's particularly relevant to what I've wrote about today, actually. Um, Liverpool's first goal on the day, electrically Chamberlain from outside the box. Uh, I actually had a look into Liverpool's shooting um, from outside the box this week. Two years ago, uh, Liverpool shot 251 times from outside the box. Uh, one year later, 206 times from outside the box. And we went from, um, let's have a look, we went from 40% of our shots being from outside the box to 37%. This season, obviously the season hasn't finished yet, but we've currently shot 104 times from outside the penalty area. That means we've dropped from 37% to 28%. That's a noticeable drop of, you know, fair amount of 9%. That. Um, obviously, the season isn't over yet. But Liverpool, obviously renowned for using data behind the scenes and 
allowing us to shake decision making and things like that. And I think it's it's fairly obvious to say that Jurgen Klopp will be aware of shot locations, mm-hmm. only he'll be aware of expected goals and mm-hmm. things like that at the very least. And I think it's clear that with time, he's almost implementing behind the scenes, just gradually year on year, refining Liverpool's shot locations basically mm-hmm. to yeah. the point now to the point where now at the minute we look optimal. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, obviously low low shots from distance tends to have a a low success rate, which is why um, you you on the whole. I mean, there's a place for them. Don't get me wrong, but on the whole, you want to avoid excessively shooting from distance. Um, I also think it's probably worth pointing out that as Liverpool have got a, a much better side, the are better at creating chances and carving teams open, meaning they can work the ball closer to the goal. Um, sometimes shots from distance for me can be a little bit of a, a frustration of not being able to break through a, a defensive setup, um, resulting in pot shots that don't tend to. Well, it's funny you should say much. that <laughs> because uh, one of the teams I used to compare was Manchester United. I was just about to say, let, let me guess at me, let me guess. Before <laughs> I, um, yeah, I knew it would be United because. Yeah. So they have shot 100, the best. 173 times so far this season from outside the mm-hmm. area, which is the most in the league. And that, <clears throat> that accounts for 48% of their total shot count, obviously compared to Liverpool's 28%. So one team uses data and one team doesn't. So that's kind of how I perceive that really. Yeah, and the, the, obviously that fits in with the theme of United having big struggles all season about... Um, breaking down sides who sit deeper. You know, they haven't got the personnel to do it and that's why they've tended to do really well in uh, fixtures against sides who come at them and leave loads of spaces where they can counter-attack. But when the emphasis is on them to um, carve open chances, they don't and it tends to lead to what you just highlighted there, kind of shots from distance and shots of a low quality and it's it's why they're by the way they are really compared to Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Um, just for a little bit more context, I mean, you can read the pieces. My Twitter's at distance covered and it should be near the top. I've shared it today with recording on the Thursday today. So read the piece if you want to read it. Um, Liverpool's XG per shot from open play, which offers the insight into how clear cut a team's chances tend to be on average. Uh, Liverpool is, is the best in the league at the minute, which again captures the focus that seems to be being placed on not shooting unless you close the goal, basically. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was an, an important note to make because it's obviously 25 games in now. It's, mm. it's something that I can kind of look at and with a reasonable degree of accuracy say that like that's happening. Yeah, it's... Um, once again, it, you, you just touched on there about the kind of data-driven decisions and... It's it's frustrating because we don't know the intricacies of the conversations going on behind closed doors, but we can make calculated guesses at that why Liverpool are the kind of leaders in this department and stuff like this is a, a great example. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll we'll continue to see more of that over the next years as a few other sides catch up. We'll see maybe something similar to what what's happened in basketball. Um, yeah, with the shots being refined, yeah, yeah, shots being refined, a lot more taken from the. Is, I'm right to saying the three point line. 
in see, terms my, of, in my basketball terminology understanding no, really poor, of, so I don't want to upset anyone. It'll be better than mine, believe me. Yeah. But I've seen the graphic, though. Yeah. And it's very, very interesting. Yeah, that it's a, a lot more shots from um, certain areas based on data-driven decisions that um, prove to be more profitable over, over the game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I think we're going to see something similar in football. It's going to be uh, really interesting. But again, it's Liverpool who look to be kind of um, setting the trend and trailblazing. Yeah, just for a little bit more perspective on the numbers thing, um, in terms of shooting from outside the box, if there's certain listeners out there that are now thinking, you know, you should shoot from outside the box and it's useful and things like that. Um, the number that I mentioned two years ago, obviously Liverpool shot 251 times from outside the box two years ago. Um, only 10 actually found on that. Uh, so that's a goal every 25 attempts. Roughly, which mm. isn't great. No, you obviously cool. want a better conversion rate than that. So, trying to get closer to goal, and that should improve. And also, as well, you you, you tend to be forfeiting your attack once you do that. It's very rare you'll you'll take a shot from distance and retain the ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're wasting possession really yeah. a lot of the time. So, hence why players such as <clears throat> Coutinho and Bruno Fernandes maybe are deemed as wasteful mm. by, by some people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so. So yeah, just just on that, it's probably worth flagging that. It'll be interesting to see how United's um, shots from distance, how they uh, are impacted with Fernandez, who enjoys a fair few, doesn't he? Yeah, well, just a word on that. He obviously sh- he shot five times on his debut, which is generally <laughs> good. All five from outside the box. Yeah, so which is generally bad. Yeah, so um, once a be interesting to see how that one goes. I think if he, if he came to Liverpool, put it this way, I think if he came to Liverpool, he would have... He'd get that. What's the word? Well, we're fine, we're fine again. You yeah. get that taken out of his game to an extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll move on anyway. So, one one interesting topic that I chose to address is Liverpool and overperformance. Uh, those that follow XG and things like that will will be aware of this. But for those that aren't, um, expected points. Liverpool are currently overperforming expected points by about 20 which is crazy that's astronomical really Um, and it's not really a good thing is it I mean (laughs) I don't know how would you how would you uh, if you say that overperform by 20 points it sounds good doesn't it but yeah traditionally you'd be looking at that thinking um, yeah there's going to be some sort of levelling out of of that um, (laughs) of that over Overperformance, really. Uh, it doesn't seem sustainable. That's it, yeah. Traditionally, that's, that's the word, yeah. Um, Just for a bit of perspective on that, um, in Italy, the biggest overperformers are Juventus on 13 points over more than he should. Valencia in Spain by eight, Schalke in Germany by 10, and Marseille in France by 10. So Liverpool, obviously, by 20 is a bit mad. Yeah, um, Man City finished, um, oh, they overperformed by seven last season. What did Liverpool? 13. See, that's a lot. That's yeah. two seasons in a row now. Liverpool have performed, overperformed, sorry, mm. expected points by noticeable levels. Mm. Um, and obviously, usually, I mean, do you want to tackle that? You, you, usually, what would you... So what you, you you'd from? normally you'd normally expect that to you you'd be saying the, the variables have really gone their, yeah, their way. Bit of a red flag. Yeah, exactly. So you'd be anticipating that 
maybe not this campaign, but over a prolonged period, that would tend to level out um, to something more in line with the expected numbers. That's what tends to happen traditionally. Um, but whether it's going to happen with Liverpool, I don't know. I think I think they they're breaking the uh, breaking the system a little bit, in my opinion. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. If that was being done by Newcastle, as it is, Newcastle well, are currently overperforming. You've seen that. Yeah, they are, and Newcastle, I think, will definitely. Um, well, that's it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's me. Point. Newcastle, they actually will catch up with them. Yeah, Newcastle are currently overperforming by about fourteen points, which again is huge. Should we just quickly? Should we just flag though that elite sides tend to over overperform, don't they? Because um, they've got better, better yeah, than average players. Yeah, yeah. better than average, <clears throat> and this has tended to be a, an average um, metric. But yeah, the um, it's just the reason we're flagging this is because it's it's such an overperformance that it's uh, it just seems bizarre. Yeah, but the thing is. If Newcastle overperforms at this level, you would be inclined to think something's going in their favour. They're getting good fortune. They're going to be in trouble in a matter of time, mm. sort of thing. With Liverpool, because they're such a dated team and things like that, and all the little smart intricacies and things like that, you are inclined to think, aren't you, that something is happening. Something, they're doing something on purpose for to me, be this lucky. For me, Liverpool have done enough for you to give them the benefit of the doubt that it's something more than luck. In my opinion. Yeah, well, it's funny because uh, one of Liverpool's data analysts behind the scenes, data scientists, is uh, Tim Waskett, his name is. Um, and I recently watched a lecture of his that he gave um, on... And when, when he was introduced, it was about Liverpool as well, when he was introduced, the presenter said something along the lines of it's this man's job as part of a team to make Liverpool as lucky as possible. That was the way he was introduced. Mm. I find that interesting. Mm. Um, and rather than delving right into it and assessing every single reason why I think this is happening, I think just pick out maybe the main two for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I don't want to go too uh, data granular. No, I but, don't want to yeah. lose heads. I mean, I'll lose my own head. <laughs> um, but firstly, anyway is something called post-shot XG. Is something I want to address. Um, so expected goals usually is mostly based on everything before the shot is actually hit. So um, it's mostly based on the location of where the shot's taken. So if the shot's taken from inside the six-yard box, it's probably going to get a high value. Um, post-shot expected goals considers things after the shot is hitting, is hitting, is hit, um, such as the power of the shot, the placement of the shot, the trage trajectory of the shot, um, maybe the pressure on the ball and things like that. Um, so if you use post shots XG, you get a bit of an understanding as to why standard XG is being cheated a little bit, being mm. a little bit deceived. Um, so according to XG, Liverpool have been expected to concede about 22, 23 goals, something like that. And that's based on the shots that they've faced, mostly based on the locations of those shots being close to goal and things like that. City, for example, 
Manchester City have been expected to concede about 21. And that's based on the same thing. That's based on the locations of where shots are, are being taken against them, sort of thing. But if you consider post-shot XG, so what happens after the shot's taken, there's a big jump then. There's a big difference. Liverpool dropped down to an expected goals conceded of only 15 compared to cities who goes up to 23. Um, I think for me, that paints a picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think if you want, if you try and put it into um, what people watch week in, week out watching Liverpool, I think that comes down to what we see in that nobody ever seems to have a clear cut opportunity in the, Liverpool penalty box they, oh, yeah. it always seems to be compact and they always seem to be under pressure from Liverpool defenders which I think forces mistakes or forces them to overthink the um, finishes Martial for United against Liverpool comes to mind um, where the City to me they quite often seem to get carved open um, and players are bestowed time on the ball to basically uh, take the shots on goal and that would, for me, lie, align with the difference between the XG and the post-shot XG. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, that's absolutely spot on. That's mm. exactly what I was getting at. I think when you break through City and you get a shot against City, you probably it's probably going to be a one-on-one mm. with Edison. If you get a shot against Liverpool, it's probably going to be with Van Dijk next to you, Fabinho yeah. next to you, and all that, all that sort of stuff. And it's going to be from a weird angle and things like that. Mm. And if you, if you was to take a shot now, completely free of pressure it's probably going to be a decent hit yeah if you were to take a shot while I'm running at you closing you down you might scuff at it you might lack power or accuracy or that sort of stuff split seconds playing football we all know because we've uh, chances are everybody who's listening has played some form of football because you know they fell in love with the game and you know split seconds the difference between a good pass a good shot and a bit of a naff over hit, under hit, you know, it's, and when you're under immense pressure, you do, sadly, you, you'll, you'll, you'll just lash at something a little bit quicker, or you'll just, it, it, I said it's microseconds, but they're the difference at elite level football, and I think, uh, I think this is perfectly underlined, that it's not necessarily all luck for Liverpool, there's, there's a reason behind the scene. Yeah, um, like I think from, from the perspective of XG, it will basically be looking at Liverpool and City and seeing Liverpool face shots from similar locations to City. Mm. And it'll be looking at Liverpool's attack compared to City's and thinking City's is better, mm. which is true. But someone's, someone's going to pull you on that, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to the XG, at least it's yeah. true. And they've actually scored more as well, I think. Yeah. Um, but if you were to then delve deeper as to how easy City's shots are to score compared to how easy it is to score against Liverpool, that's where the key difference is, mm. and that's what XG doesn't pick up on, because it doesn't really consider, you know, aspects like that, such mm. as shot placements and power and things like that. So, And they're li- huge, they're huge influencers in these moments. You know, it's sometimes you can get sidetracked and, and just kind of see it as a, you look at XG, a chance, and it's just so basic, but in reality, it, there's, there's so many levels to it, isn't it? And this is a huge one. This is a decisive one in converting these chances. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what I'm getting at is XG will perceive Liverpool's defence to be on the same level as City's, if not very, very slightly worse. 
when in reality it's on a different level. Yeah, it's com- it's a completely different league. The cities. It's got a it's got an added facet that proves a lot of the time decisive in these chances being converted or not converted. Yeah, simply. And not only is it that's why I'd say it's cheating. It's breaking XG. Yeah, and not only is it tricky to score, but you've got a better keeper between mm. the sticks, yeah. so that if a shot does come, it's going to be even harder for that shot to find the net because the the keeper's better as mm. well. So if these things result in you overperforming over time. Twenty points is obviously crazy. Uh, as you touched on earlier, thirteen last season as well. You know, it's and what you find with XG, it, it, you can't outrun it forever unless there's something more um, imposing going on, or there's yeah. something there's something got under the surface that's happening. Um, I'd say that's the case here. Yeah, I'm just gonna go back two seasons to see if Liverpool overperformed expected points two seasons ago. I'm inclined to think not, but let's have a look. So no, they didn't. So two seasons ago, we underperformed expected points by four, mm. four points. So it's been basically this season and the whole of last season for that period of time we are doing something, and it's that's roughly since that roughly since Van Dijk and Allison, certainly so since Allison arrived, didn't it? Yeah, Allison came last summer. Mm. Yeah, so they uh, they they both come in for, for that season but that was when I think Liverpool also stepped up in, in, just in terms of a unit as, yeah. a, as a squad you know to what they are now yeah and I think one, one other aspect on the whole overperformance thing that I want to mention is the concept of game state um, obviously Liverpool well I've tried to state on this podcast before that Liverpool tend to change a little bit once a game's won if Liverpool go three goals up or whatever um they're probably going to take the foot off the gas, conserve their energy because of I don't know Champions League finals that may may end up coming at the end of the season when you'll need that energy. Yeah, well, they used to they used to have a tendency to, if anything, take a lead and go more aggressive, didn't they? You know, in terms of trying to win the ball yeah. back and, and burying sides, and now I think but, there's a lot more confidence in seeing a game out. You no, know, because the the defense is better, the keeper's better. They know that they don't really need to go all out to build a two or three goal lead. Yeah, but that what you've just said. City do that. City mm. keep going. Yeah. City, if they get three up, they'll one four, they'll one five. They beat they beat Watford early in the season eight nil. Yeah, but they that's because Aston Villa six one. I think it was. Yeah, but that's because City haven't got that defensive solidity to rely on. Have they? Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now Liverpool have got it. I think like I've said to you, haven't I? I think Liverpool are one of the best sides I've seen sitting in a low block. Yeah, but they don't need to do it because they're so good everywhere else. But if they just had to do that. If they had to build their game on on doing that and counter-attacking, they'd be superb at that as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. But from the perspective, again, of expected goals, mm. matches maybe look a little bit tighter because around the 60th minute or so, Liverpool stop playing. Mm. In, in essence, uh, it's not always the case, but over the course of 25 matches, um, it's going to impact your numbers to an extent that mm. City, who are having to do more, in essence, to win a match, are going to look better according to the numbers, but it might not be the case because Liverpool are getting matches won mm. almost in, in an hour, as opposed to an hour and a half. So these things ultimately uh, result in a big, a big overperformance, obviously, as it's true. I mean, Liverpool obviously suffers from a bit of luck, well, benefited from a bit of luck. That, that happens, but as of every team. But I'm of the belief that a lot of Liverpool's luck, seemingly is um, almost self-inflicted. And uh, it's to do with subtle little things beneath the surface that even XG, 
unless you go into post shot XG, can't, can't really pick up on. So hopefully we haven't completely lost the listeners there because no, I, I appreciate yeah. that it goes a bit, you know, a bit thorough. Yeah, no, I think everyone who listens to this tends to uh, tends to appreciate that. It's not, uh, it's not really a, it's something a little bit different to what you get everywhere else, isn't it? And I think it is insightful because it's it's good to kind of acknowledge what XG and stuff does and how, how good of an indicator it can be, but. Also, I guess we're acknowledging its limitations and trying to put explanations on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't generally like talking about limitations of XG as much as you do. <laughs> yeah, no. and I usually have a bit more faith in the thing. I, I, yeah, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, but in regard to my team, mm. <laughs> yeah, I will. Uh, I just have the belief that Liverpool, uh, that there's no way that to overperform by thirty-three points since the start of last season. It's just pure luck. I'm no, just, I, agree, I just yeah. find it hard to believe. Oh yeah. Just on that point, I do I do really like XG. I oh, just yeah, 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 yeah. I just accept that it has got I acknowledge the limitations a little bit more and it's I think it's, it's story. Yeah, it's got a long way to go to be there. Like I saw someone on Twitter not so long ago saying, Wouldn't it be interesting if we swapped uh, XG for goal difference in terms of league positions? <laughs> and I was like, it's just nowhere near that level yet, you know. It, it's still got too many flaws, but it's still a really good performance indicator. Yeah, a couple of years ago I suggested that we look at the XG rather than going to a penalty shootout. Yeah. <laughs> that we'll get there out. one day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we'll go on to something now anyway, new topic on something that everyone will have an opinion on. Uh, player, of, player of the year. Obviously it's a bit early, but it's the, well, it's a winter break, I think they're calling it. Mm. Uh, it's a bit of a talking point at the minute, so... Um, I think they're in the running for Liverpool, at least, would be Henderson, Trent, Mane... Virgil, Salah and Alisson for me. Um, so, firstly, who would be yours according to purely analysis mm. and, you know, the numbers and who's maybe an outlier and who's doing things that you think is deserving of the player of the year or whatever? Um, I, I haven't looked at Dave's stuff, by the way. No. He, he hasn't looked at mine. Uh, for me, it's... Um, I don't know if this is going to be an unpopular one. I don't think it would have been a couple of months ago, but maybe now. But for me, it's Sadio Mane, definitely. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I think he's he's been at times, certainly this season, but even back in the last season, I think he's been unplayable. Um, and he's the one that I think Klopp has been quite reliant on. In, in, I think about like the the Everton game where he made he, he was the, this the league meeting where he had to make changes to freshen the side up, but it felt like with Mane in, in there, he was still um, extremely dangerous and you know um, favor, heavy favourites. And I I also think he's scored some huge goals this season, um, winning goals. You know he scored in the the two one win at Palace, two the late one at Villa. Um, so yeah, Southampton. He won the penalty against Leicester. He scored in that game as well. He scored both games in the Super Cup final. Um, I think he scored two in that game where Liverpool won three one against Newcastle. He scored two in that one at Anfield. Yeah, I think so. Um, I just think he's been huge. I think you know he only stands at uh, he only stands at five foot nine, but he he's really difficult to push off the ball. He's a fantastic dribbler. I think his his heading is really underrated. He's uh, two-footed. Yeah, he's, I'm, I'm sure he's in the top four for the most uh, headed shots in the Premier League this season. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise is, me to be honest. Which is uh, really interesting. He's for me. I think he's um, he's just a fantastic player. Then I'd probably uh, 
I'd probably go with him. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely wouldn't argue against that. Mm. But an alternative player that I've looked at. First of all, I'd just like to say that, like, for you, in terms of your player of the year, there will always be a split as to whether people judge based on the actual performance of the player in that season mm. or the performance of the player relative to what you would deem to be his own standard. Mm. See what I mean? Mm. Hence why Messi just stopped winning Ballon d'Ors <laughs> yeah. when he was still clearly unbelievable. Mm. Hence why Van Dijk might not win it this year because he was so unbelievable last year. People come to, same with Salah, people come to expect a certain level from you and if you don't keep getting better and better and better, then it'll probably go to someone else just because mm. someone else does it. Well, there's no no longer the surprise there, there's the door, there's uh, yeah, lofty standards that you just can't meet. I agree. Yeah. But if you look at a season in isolation, uh, I think the, the answer will usually be a bit different. But one player I've used t- the numbers to t- to capture as, as certainly should be well with him with a shout would, would be Trent. Mm. Uh, I think he'll win the young player comfortably. But I, one of the reasons he'd be up there for me is just because he's just completely unlike any other fullback out there. Obviously, I tackled this a couple of episodes ago just to capture, and I did a Twitter thread on it as well, just the crosses he hits, the long passes he hits, um, I think passes into the final third and things like that. He's got 10 assists currently in the Premier League this season. The closest fullback to him has got six, and that's Andy Robertson. Um, I think he's 21, is he? Um, I'm just going to check because last time we, we did this got it wrong <laughs> yeah so he's uh, ju- yeah 21 yeah um, <laughs> 21 wow obviously this is this feels at least like his first full season from the off as a starter mm. whereby he's physically developed enough to play virtually every match mm. um, and he's just he's the closest thing I've said this before he's the closest thing Klopp's had to a playmaker mm. I think and he's he's just doing things as a fullback that fullbacks have never done before in the Premier League. Um, to an extent that he just he shows up as a a unique player who, for me, should be in with a shout of uh, of player of the year, whether you know, he'll win it or not is another story. You know, I think he'd because uh, I was guilty of it myself. I think if he was he was bought in the last eighteen months and he was twenty four, twenty five, I think he'd be a more legitimate shout. But yeah, I think probably. people probably accept that he's oh yeah, he'll get the young player of the year and maybe his his time will come in that regard in terms of getting more individual accolades. Yeah. But uh, I, I just want to echo everything you said on him because I think he's uh, he's so unique. It's I can't I, I, we tried to think of similar players, didn't we a few months back and I can't think of one. In the Premier League, or no, just in just in general, like you talk, uh, no, people the, saying like Philip Lam and stuff, and no, the the player that just, showed up closest to me, certainly based on the numbers at least, was uh, Joshua Kimmich from Bayern. Yeah, but other than that, there the wasn't many at all that was that had the outputs that he did offensively mm. as a fullback. It was just uh, I've, you, I've I've posted a few passing networks on me Twitter this this season, and they're so elaborate. They're like the player comes to mind is David Beckham. His passing range, but from a right back position, mm. I think Beckham would actually be a right back in the modern day. But yeah, I um, so anyway, who would yours be then? Once also considering you know the intangible aspects and um, you know all those all those things <laughs> things away from the data. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I still wouldn't change my choice, but I will. I will give a nod to 
to Henderson <laughs> okay. because clearly that's what it's there for. Um, no, I, I understand why he's in, yeah. in with the shout. He's currently actually the bookies' favourite. Yeah, at the minute, I actually think he might win it. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't. What What I will say with Henderson because I've said it before is I think Henderson is a, a top four player in the Premier League. I think he's a good player. He's a fantastic all rounder. I thought it was really underrated how well he'd done in number six while Fabinho was gone because yeah, you know yeah. everyone expected that to be a huge loss and he not that it was a slant on him but he wasn't really missed um, so I think he, he's been great uh, I think what's really impressed me most about Henderson though is for me maybe two years ago he could have he could have exited and joined like a top eight side and kind of been their best player and that would have been his level maybe but as Liverpool have progressed as a club to from like a good side to the elite side they are now he's managed to maintain the pace with that he's managed to remain the the captain and a and a leader within a side of utterly elite players and he's obviously got their respect as well. Like, like you know, Van Dijk for me, he's, an, he's a natural leader. He's still in that dressing room. Henderson is still being a, another leader with someone like that in the dressing room. Um, so taking all that into con- consideration, I can understand why he's uh, he's being involved in the conversation. Yeah, so can I. I think when you've got a team that is such a team and the, um, the contributions and the responsibilities are shared throughout the eleven. I do think that, and that's the case at Liverpool at the minute. Obviously, the amount of players I've just named then that are in with the shout that all wear red. Um, I think Henderson is probably a very appropriate symbol of the team and what the whole what the Reds represent mm. under Jurgen Klopp and in the modern day. Really, you know, he's absolutely relentless, aggressive. Seems to have completely overcame his. Um, his injury issues has been available for, I think I'm right in saying, 100% of the season. Um, and obviously he's, he's he's got challenges around him for his place in the team mm. that he's just managed to just consistently keep out. He's, mm. he's, he's kept his place fully. Yeah. Um, obviously operated as a number eight and a number six. His offensive contributions for me this season have improved. He has had more of a threat on the ball. Mm. Just think of the Salah goal from the weekend against Southampton. Uh, the Club World Cup final against Flamengo, I think mm. he set up the goal for that. Bournemouth away, the first goal over the top to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, he set that one up. Um, he definitely has actually improved in terms of his threat, how dangerous he is on the ball. But I think most of all, just as as that symbol of what Liverpool have became and as I said, relentless, hard work, um, just persistent, non-stop sort of thing. Um, no complacency at all. And considering a couple of years ago, he was on his way out almost to Fulham. Yeah. And in the in the space of a year, he's going to lift the Club World Cup, the Super Cup, the Premier League and the Champions League. As captain. It's, as captain. Hmm. It, it is... He is a symbol of what's, what mm. Liverpool have came, to be, have came to be. So I wouldn't have much of an issue, to be honest, if he did win it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, from a data perspective, <laughs> others show up yeah. a, bit, a bit higher. Yeah, there's better candidates, but... Yeah, uh, I understand why he would be in with the show, and I'd expect him fully to actually win the, the Football Writers Award, I think. Because mm. I think he's that he's, he's that kind of um, person who needs to win yeah. that sort of award. But in terms of being voted for by your peers, 
maybe Mane will win it. Hmm. Yeah, but we'll see anyway. Possibly De Bruyne as well throwing De Bruyne, but this is Liverpool's show, so... Yeah, I also, I, I do think the narrative of a side can sometimes impact that, you know, and I think with City being the way they've been this year, he won't look as attractive. Yeah. But we'll yeah. see. Uh, but we'll leave it there anyway. Mm. Um, so tune in next week. Dave's joining us from San Francisco. <laughs> 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 nah, he's having a well-deserved week off. So yeah, I'll, be back with, uh, I'll be back with the OG Christian Walsh. Uh, to look ahead to Norwich and we'll see what else we can talk about maybe a Q&A hmm. but thanks for joining us Dave yeah cheers mate and we'll see you next week thanks everyone you've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel